had to be you. Is that men and women can't be friends because the sex part always gets in the way. Romantics, welcome to a party with you, the Talk Film Society podcast that's all about falling in love on the big screen. I'm your host, Manish Mathur, and we're about at the halfway point of our bad romance miniseries, talking about Christopher Nolan's Inception from the year 2010, starring a whole bunch of amazing, awesome people like Leonardo DiCaprio, Marion Cotillard, Elliot Page. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Tom Hardy, Killian Murphy, Ken Watanabe, you know, Michael Caine, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and it's kind of, it's just a very unconventional movie for this podcast, but um, I think it's kind of the, you know, the, I, I, I think it kind of has an interesting marriage in, at the center of it. Uh, it's very driven much by marriage and relationships and all that and of course christopher nolan has his own reputation which i'm sure we'll get into on this podcast um but i'm really excited to welcome bones from the five day rentals podcast hello how are you hello how are you Uh, doing well very excited to have you on the podcast um been listening to your podcast and um this been yeah so great to have you Thank you. I hope you're you're keeping your sanity. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you said unconventional movie for your podcast, and so I, I feel honored to be like an unconventional guest. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, this is <laughs> definitely out. Like the romantic side is definitely outside of my purview. Yeah. Um, you know, it's actually been a lot of fun to get podcasters and writers who don't really talk about romance movies onto the podcast, like our mutual friend, George, who was on for Romeo and Juliet um, this past summer. Uh, he doesn't get to talk about romance a lot. And so it's kind of fun to, you know, it's just like how I like to talk about, you know, like action movies or horror movies or whatever on other people's podcasts. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't really get to, um, except for this bad romance miniseries, which has been a lot of fun um and so yeah um just wanted to kind of uh as like introductory kind of thing um you know what's your history take on christopher nolan what is you know do you like the filmmaker like what are some of your favorites kind of like what's your what's your take overall i respect the hell out of the guy um I would say his impact on me is undeniable. Uh, mm-hmm. Huge Batman fan. Yeah. And uh, his crack at the bat with that, uh, forgive the pun, uh, <laughs> was, uh, I think, exceptional. I do think it kind of slips there at the end, but we could kind of get into that. Um, I remember seeing Memento. I remember taking a date to see Insomnia and regretting that. Um, we She just thought it was she was creeped out by robin williams the whole time (laughs) um and i remember 2003 2004 kind of when they announced batman begins uh you know checking joe blow and slash film in the early days just getting super hyped and seeing the the early set photos and getting the take from everything that he was saying about like trying to create a more real and gritty and um and then just being overwhelmed by it and loving Batman Begins. It still might be my favorite 
uh, of the Batman films and seeing his career progress. Like I, I really can't think of anybody that gets to do what he's able to do now. Maybe James Cameron um, in terms of like, it's not even a one for you, one for me anymore. I mean, with Oppenheimer, he was basically like, wasn't he just bitted over? Yeah. With, I mean, eventually universal one, which I guess he left Warner brothers because of their whole HBO max thing, maybe. But uh, I think, at a certain point with his work, I'm, there's a sheen that's maybe starting to come off and I'm starting to have a little bit of reluctance to what he's doing. His mm. audio decisions are a little disheartening, especially <laughs> in some of his later movies. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll, but I'll tell you right now, I think Inception might be my favorite of his movies. If I take the Batman out of it, I think this is peak him in the box. Uh, you can hear the damn movie. You can hear the dialogue. It's got enough Christopher Nolan with enough of a, a spectacle movie that uh, I'd, I'd like to see him maybe try to go back to that. We'll see. How about yourself? Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, I am really on board with a lot of what you're saying. Um, he's one of my favorite filmmakers, uh, which it's funny. It feels very basic, but also a little like controversial to say that. You know, Um, I'm definitely not, I don't know. I mean, I like the Batman movies. I think my favorite is Batman Begins. Um, And, but for me, it's like the, you know, the, the outside stuff outside of the Batman. That's kind of where my interest lies. Like Inception, of course, Interstellar, Dunkirk. I like, I love those movies. Um, Tenet. I, I like Tenet a lot. I saw it on, I saw it at home just because of the pandemic. So same. Um, I didn't really notice a problem with the audio just because I had the subtitles on anyway, because I always have captions on. <laughs> um, and not that I understood Tenet at all anyway, but I love it just because it's like, why not? You know, right. it's, it's very peak Nolan where it's just like, he's just doing what he's got to do. But yeah, I mean, I, Inception is my favorite of, of his, I think probably like, the one I've seen the most, except for maybe Batman Begins. And uh, I just think it's such a fun movie. And it's really, uh, I, I think one thing I love about Inception is that it feels very complicated because there's a lot of jargon and a lot of like moving pieces, but it's also very simple. <laughs> like they're just trying to plant an idea in someone's head. And then like, you know, they're like subconscious is like, trying to like get in the way you know it's just very much like it feels very simple even though it's very complicated on the surface but um do you remember the first time you saw the movie and kind of like what your impressions were yeah i remember after the dark knight being upset that he wasn't immediately jumping in that he wasn't immediately to you know rises or whatever the sequel was going to be yeah and uh seeing some little ticker or whatever that said Nolan plans heist movie that deals with architecture of the mind or something (laughs) that's always stuck with me and then seeing the DiCaprio announcement and I was like all right I'm on board again because prestige in the in between begins and dark knight I I also love so yeah all right all right um pretty sure I saw it in the theater Definitely remember leaving the theater and hearing the groans of people um, 
at the reaction to that quick cut from the top. Yeah. And the the big takeaway immediately was like the the bong noise, <laughs> which has become an inside joke on our show. Yeah. Anytime you say Nolan. Um but I remember liking it and rewatching it multiple times since. But on this rewatch, definitely focusing in on like, let's look at the romance angle. Because I even checking the list that you sent me to say like, what would I want to talk about? Inception really stuck out to me because I thought, well, Nolan doesn't do romance. He doesn't really do love. And then I thought about it a little bit. I was like, well, Interstellar and Inception, I think he would really go on about it being really about love. And I think this one is definitely the most about love. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Interstellar is about like love as a concept. You know, it's like the famous line is like, love is the, like, I think fifth dimension, fourth dimension, or like the continuum between, it's like, I remember like Anne Hathaway has a whole speech about like love, capital L love. Um, But um, I definitely like, I think, I think the, to me, this is like peak Nolan as like, so like, the, I think he gets kind of like talked about like, oh, he loves dead wives or dead mothers. I think, <laughs> I think Inception is like peak dead wife Nolan because like she's like Marin Cotillard is now is like the crux of the movie. And, you know, like she's described as a femme fatale in a couple of reviews. She's described as like the martyr of the film or like the victim of the film, like, I was reading some article about like um it was like a list of like twisted marriages and like this was on the list yeah. <laughs> um and it's like about like you know dom played by Leonardo DiCaprio, like psychologically abusing his wife and like she commits suicide because he drives her insane and it's like i i don't think it's as clear-cut as either one of them is like bad but just like you know they're they're involved in things and just like human beings should not be involved in, which is like going deeper and deeper into your subconscious and dreaming and creating these worlds. And um, to me, this movie is very sad uh, in, in that, like to me that Christopher Nolan is someone who is like, so he, he's such a family man. Like when you hear about his like life with his kids and his, his yeah. wife, like, um, I, I think I heard somewhere that, like, between movies, he's just, like, off the grid. And, like, he'll just kind of, like, go away with his with his family on some beach. And, like, I don't think he has a cell phone. This is the rumor that I heard. He doesn't have a right. cell phone, doesn't really have a computer that he uses for personal, for his personal use. And so, um, when he's off, he's off with his family. Which, and, and so it's kind of like, well, it, that shows in his movies because, like, almost a lot of these movies are about characters who are so lost without their family that they drive themselves insane and they do crazy things and they fall apart. And I think Leonardo DiCaprio in this movie is like the perfect example of that because like he's, he's so enveloped in his love for his wife, his guilt over his death, his missing of his kids that like he literally cannot do his job. (laughs) I mean, his job is like going into people's dreams, but he can't do it. Yeah. Um, And that's, to me, that's that's like romantic and tragic. For other people, it might be a little different interpretation, but that to me is why I wanted to bring Inception to, into this podcast. Because to me, it's such a like romantic, sad concept. What do you think it it is about his filmmaking or his style in particular where most audiences don't connect 
to that family element or that love element? Is it the spectacle? Is it the, is it the big scientific ideas that sort of dilute all of that stuff? Because, you know, on rewatches that stuff starts to float up, but you know, my initial takeaway from inception is, Oh, that hallway scene is awesome. Right. Right. It's not like, you know, it takes a little, it took a little bit for interstellar for me to see like, Oh, okay. That's really, even with her speech, it doesn't really connect or even in the prestige, like the family element in that, that comes through. What is it that, you know, like where somebody like Spielberg, you know, like it's, it's there equal to action. Yeah. It's, I think it's a spectacle of it. I also think like his movies can, because they look very stylish, but also like a little, I don't want to say chilly, but like very like meticulous that I think people think that they're like devoid of emotion or like an emotional through line. And like, especially something like Inception, which is so like, it's so plotty in the sense of like, you know, like, the like I like I said like the jargon of the movie is so dense and like the concepts yeah. are so cerebral that you can watch this movie and think well this movie has no emotion it's all just him playing with his toys and you know showing off these things um, and I definitely agree with you that like the more you watch these movies the more the love story comes out like Memento I think is, is a love story as well um, and so I think the prestigious I think the the prestige could also be a fun podcast for this or fun movie for this podcast because like sure. that's all about marriage it's all about like how you know rebecca hall's character is like so confused by her marriage because she's literally married to two men yeah <laughs> who are acting so different and who are treating her so differently and how that kind of breaks her um and so and i think it's like he I think his window dressing of these like themes is very cool and very exciting. And like, I'm very similar in that, like you watch Inception, you come away with the effects, you come away with, you know, Elliot Page, like creating these, you know, mirrors and, and bridges and all these rules of like, you know, don't base it off of, you know, your own memory or don't let me see the map or whatever. Um, all these like rules and ideas and concepts are so heady. They're so interesting. They're so fun to think about and to learn so that it's like, it feels easy to miss the the emotional angle of the movie. Yeah. And I, I definitely want to right now. Thank you for that. Because I think without watching this through that angle, I would have just gone on thinking that he was cold. It was yeah. the two rewatches this week and definitely trying to focus on that and looking at his other work and and even you're talking about like his his family takes like, oh, wow, I definitely have a Nolan rewatch coming up with with a different lens. And I'm, I'm very excited. So thank you for that. Uh, hey, that's what we do the podcast. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, like it, it's so cool, like his producer is his wife, Emma Thomas, mm-hmm. um, and she I feel like she's very much like, you know, many other producer wives who don't get a lot of credit or don't get a lot of public, you know, uh, appreciation, but like they, you know, I, I'm like, if this were a guy who had like no respect for his family, I had like, if these movies are really about like, you know, if they were like, as I just like, wouldn't see his, his wife collaborating on movies that she would feel like distanced from or like, 
you know, detach from. I, I feel like, like, the reason why I, I feel so confident about, like, my take on his movies and about his, and, like, how these, I mean, like, this movies are basically much like how much he's so in love with his wife that, like, if he were to lose her, like, his whole life would fall apart. <laughs> and, um, and so that's why I feel very strongly about this because I'm like, they work on these movies together and, like, they're very collaborative and they're very, like, you know, the way he talks about her in interviews, the way they, like, these movies are so well put together in so many ways. And it has to be because of their core collaboration and their core, um, like, synthesis together as they as they work and stuff. So, um, I, I really, I don't know, I, I just, like, love the idea. Like, I've even had read interviews where he's like, my children make fun of me all the time for like how meticulous I can be on set and like how particular I am about certain things. Like, um, there's a really funny story where like his, his kids start calling him Reynolds Woodcock after watching Phantom Thread because they were like, dad, you're just like him. And it's very cute. Um, but yeah, so, um, yeah, I just like really, uh, I, I really like to think about his movies in this way because I think that, I don't know, it's easy to miss because, like, these movies aren't love stories in a very, like, traditional, conventional way. But at the heart of them, I think there's very much a strong emotional theme running through. Most definitely. Um, yeah, so... Inception is definitely my favorite of his movies. The one I've seen the most, as I mentioned, I, I actually saw this movie in London. I was studying in London in college for the summer, taking a, a taking like a film class there. And Inception, what I've, um, Inception was like the big movie that was coming out that summer, and I was like, I have to go see it um, at this like cool London theater. And um, it was one of those like old movie houses where they had like a balcony, like a mezzanine. I went and it was like super crowded. Um, and I definitely recall the same kind of reaction that you had of the groaning at the end. Um, and definitely when I show this movie to people or like when I talk about this movie, they're like, but how come they don't show like if it was a dream or not? And I'm like, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I like what like what do you think about like kind of ambiguous endings? Like question mark endings in general. I, it depends on how they reflect to the movie. In this case, I think it works uh-huh. because there's so much you know, back and forth with what is reality. Yeah. Um and then especially like his pull to it. Um, especially when you find out that that totem was hers and the his whole spiel of um you know going on about not wanting to look at his children's face before he leaves yeah and and as soon as he steps away towards them that's your answer i mean ending on the top is the cooler ending that's the cooler frame to 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 cut to black to on but quite honestly i think this is the perfect type of movie where you would want a little bit of of a sting there. Yeah. Um I'm I'm mostly okay. I I'm I just started um Tarantino's audiobook. Uh, is it cinema speculation or something? something like and that, I think yeah. yeah, he talks about like being a kid and complaining about like um 
Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, like ending on that freeze frame and him just bitching to his his parents on the way home. Like, why didn't they show it? What what was that? His mom having to explain like it's because they died. And to this day, he's like, yeah, you should show him die like being killed. Like, yeah, that's the that's not a type of movie that you end on that. So I, I think it depends on, you know, what you've sat through to that point. Yeah. So what's your kind of in the, in that lens? What's your kind of read on the ending of the movie? I think. I think by that point, he he spins it and the fact that he walks away is him just accepting that whatever it is, it is because mm-hmm. after that, that last, um, when Maul is, is, is finally killed off like that acceptance and her back and forth and him, you know, ag- acknowledging and, and sort of getting over the guilt, which I would argue it's not his fault. He was trying to do what he could to get her out of it and back to it. Yeah. And, you know, she was just as game as he was to go into the into their subconsciousness. But particularly on that end, I think he's already the fact that he makes it through customs or he gets out of limbo. He makes it through customs. He gets to the house. I think by that point, it doesn't matter if it's reality or not. What it, what matters is that he accepts whatever he's in. And he's yeah. he's no longer running from that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I actually really agree with that ending or that interpretation. And to me, that is like I love ambiguous endings because I often feel that like what literally happens isn't as important as like what's happening like emotionally and like within the character arc. And here it's like because he's able to, um, you know, extract Mal from his like you know, the, the projection and he's getting through customs as you're saying. And I think he's ready to exactly what you're saying, like kind of face, face what's coming ahead. And really like it's, it's, it's his acceptance. It's his kind of, it's his him processing his own grief and kind of understanding like, this is kind of what, what's ahead for him. And, um, and so it's kind of like, it doesn't really matter because ultimately he kind of got the catharsis that he needed. Yeah. And, the spinning uh, of the top is almost just instinctual for him. Right. Right. You know? Um, yeah. So I, you know, you mentioned how like, they go into like their own subconscious and the whole limbo period. And, you know, it's always like, um, you know, it's such an interesting concept, right. Of like how they get to like build this whole life together for, it's like what 50 years and it's like one single night and you know it's like this means of like escape from their real life and just having that time together and then kind of like creating something out of whole cloth for themselves and um i kind of do find that section of the movie kind of like romantic even romantic in a very like dooms like kind of like in like a doomed sense and like a very tragic sense but still like you know i don't know if you're you know if you're married or if you're with someone but like it's kind of something to like think about of like well wouldn't it be kind of cool to just like create this like whole new world for us and just kind of like live out this like time period in in without having to actually like you know leave the real world you know or like you know what i mean just like have that time together yeah it has almost like a 
like a vampire immortality sort yeah, of romanticism right. to it, you know, like yeah. there you can look at it and be sad or you can look at it and like think like, wow, he was literally in uh, a sandbox with her for 50 years. Yeah. And what you could look at it as what better circumstance to be with somebody, um, particularly like another architect. How awesome would that be? But then there's that sadness of, well, they weren't with their children. They weren't with their family. They weren't with this. So, you know, him sort of accepting like, well, I've, and a great thing about him too, is like, I got to get back to my damn kids. Uh, you know, like, which is, is as equal to his drive of getting rid of her, if not greater. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like, they kind of, it's like when you go on vacation and stuff and it's all idyllic, it's par, it's paradise, it's whatever. And then that's like, you do have to go back and that too, it's like, you want you need to go back to your real life just because like you can't function in this paradise you know whether it's like you know fiji or if it's your own like subconscious limbo right yeah <laughs> like you like can't function and you need to like you know reality it's like this movie is much about like the push and pull between like reality and dreams right where it's like you know dreams have all this meaning and they have there's beauty in them and there's creation but you know, it's no, it, it, it's, it's not sustainable. Um, even like when, you know, when Ariadne is practicing her dream architecture, um, you know, like, like the image of like all the, like the subconscious, like kind of attacking her, it feels very much like there is something sinister and something, you know, scary about this process they're doing and like kind of being in someone else's dreams and kind of living in this limbo because like it can only turn against you and it as it does for for mal and dom yeah there's like a there's a price to be paid Mm -hmm. for this freedom Mm -hmm. you know and you've got me thinking a lot about particularly like i am married and a lot of times i do have to be uh the bad guy (laughs) <laughs> like I, I have to be the one to say like, all right, babe, it's going to take 45 minutes to get home. Like we need to leave yeah. or, you know, traffic's going to be bad or maybe we shouldn't go to that party because COVID is spiking again. Like, you know, he, the, it's, it's, it's already hard enough on him that he's the one that put the idea in there, but he was the one to have to even acknowledge like, all right, it's been 50 years and this isn't real. Like we do have a life to go back to. Um, that's it, it can sometimes tough being the bad guy you know? yeah yeah and, yeah and made all the more worse when you wake up and she's telling you like you know every day that you've got to go back you know like if my wife was slapping me in the car like I want to go back to my friend's house you know and party more it would be miserable yeah yeah I mean like I think like uh the section of the movie that really gets me kind of, you know, that really kind of sticks out to me is like, you know, she keeps saying like, you don't know that you're dreaming, you know? And um, even when he's trying to say like, we're no, it's reality. Like we need to, like we are back. And she's so like wrapped up in her, her in, in, in the dream and, and the fantasy that, 
Like she can't, she can't separate reality from dreams. And, you know, I, I like what you're saying about like being the bad guy in the relationship. Like that's definitely, you know, my, my partner and I, we, we go back and forth between that. Um, as I'm sure it might be with, with, with you and your spouse, but, um, it's very much like having to like, yeah, like wake up from reality. And especially when it's like, you know, like I don't live with my partner, but like, so whenever I do have to go back home, it's like, someone has to be the one that's like, okay, let's, yeah. <laughs> let's put your shoes on. Let's, let's get out the door. Let's, you know, um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, it, you know, it's interesting. We like, this is like, this is a classic Nolan, right? Where he takes these like very like mundane human things and then puts in so much fantasy and science fiction and future futurism and technology and whatever, and kind of like creates that become, makes them more like larger than life. So like, um, you know, whether it's taking a vacation, it's like, it's not just taking a vacation, but it's like, you're taking a vacation into your own subconscious. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And then you have to like, someone has to be the one that's like, okay, we got to start to head back. Um, yeah. So one thing that I, I've, I've read a few times is reading Mal is like a femme fatale, especially sort of like the earlier parts of the movie where she, you know, shows up and like, you know, she's the one that, I think she like stabs Ariadne or attempts to in that first kind of section of the film, or, you know, she's the one that kind of comes in and disrupts their work because of, you know, her position as Dom's subconscious projection. Yeah. Um, is that something that, that you really like, is that, is that a, a take on the character that you can respond to? Do you see it differently? Um, uh, yeah. I see. I mean, I, I definitely see, her getting that femme fatale tag specifically, you know, definitely with this being ultimately a heist movie with a a tint of noir to it. Um, Yeah. I, I, it's tough because knowing that she is him, right. Mm -hmm. Um, hmm. I think, I think so. I mean, she's definitely, she was the standout performance for me on these yeah, rewatches. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, the, the anger that she is, she makes you feel for her and then immediately making you feel sorry for her when you find out what he had to convince her of. And then when she still shows up again in the, the fortress, how upset you are. Um, so I would say that, that that's probably, in, in like film terms, what I would call that. You've got me stumped on that. Like what else I would, or even if I, I think I'm just going to agree with you. There's a, there's, I, yeah, I think the tricky part is she is him. She is his baggage. And if it was a femme fatale thing, you might be able to get like Arthur to, argue against it more but since she's she's only a femme fatale whenever they're in the dream you know it's not like she's an outside force like the generic engineering company or something that's trying to come out right uh, after him so yeah no i mean i this isn't i 
I feel like she is she has femme fatale quality, especially in the first half of the movie. But I think like a lot of the great sort of femme fatales in movies do, there's always that like there's always some kind of like sympathetic angle to her. And I definitely as the movie goes on, you start to like see like how you know, like what led to her death and how this has affected Dom throughout his life or throughout his work. Um, then like, I, I, I don't know if I would call her that specifically, yeah. but, um, you know, it's interesting. I never really thought about it that like, she's not a real person. I mean, like, yeah. obviously I knew that, but like, you're right. Like she's not trying to affect the plot in the literal sense that she's not, you know, like, um, but that like, her presence in these dreams is really messing up their work. And, you know, all the conversations between Dom and Ariadne about like how bad it's getting and how, you know, like this is why he can't know the layout of the dream architecture or whatever. Cause like, if he knows it, then she'll know it and she'll be able to show up. And I mean, again, this is like, it's, it's sort of like the like very sci-fi version of like the guy that just is so hung up on his ex that like, he can't not bring her up in conversation, whether it's like with a new new date or with his friends or his coworkers, like she's just always going to pop up. And oh, that's um, all I was thinking about yeah. <laughs> this week was the, the two bad breakups I had in my life and just how miserable I would have, like, I would have hated to be around me yeah. <laughs> for the weeks after, like just how miserable I was like best friends, just driving them crazy. Yeah. You know, much less, and I didn't work with them. I can't, like, you got to give Arthur and all these other guys credit for how much they put up with him. Uh, you know, she's like, she's his drinking problem. She's his gambling addiction. She's, she's all of this stuff that it just so happens he's the best in the business. Yeah. You know, and, and it's funny because, like, it's not like, you know, I remember, like, I had a professor once when this movie came out, like, I think the, that next semester, because I was, yeah, I was in college when this movie came out, so, like, that next semester, like, I had this professor who, like, did not like this movie at all, um, and she was, I feel like she didn't really understand the actual, like, plot of the movie, because, like, the way she was describing it, I was like, that actually does not happen in the movie, so I don't know what you watched. <laughs> um, but she was like... Um, she was saying how like uh the like plot of the movie is just so like there's like no stakes to like the real world plot of the movie because it's just like this like as you're saying like generic company takeover and it's like okay so like you know you just want your competitor to like break up his family empire like what does that have to do with anything (laughs) like yeah you know and like I didn't really understand what she was saying because I was so wrapped up in like the dream world part of it and, um, you know, trying to figure out all the different layers and understanding like, you know, how each dream leads to the next one and how like it all feels very James Bond. I was all, you know, I was like 20, 21 years old. I was like, this is the coolest thing. Um, and it really wasn't until I started watching it more as an adult that I realized that like, you know, Maul's whole thing is only within the dream. And yeah, it's affecting their work, but at the same time, like no one's really dying because of it. <laughs> you know, like yeah. if they don't succeed, then like, okay, sure, he can't go home. That's pretty big stakes. But like it's not like she's really affecting anyone's like livelihood. It like not livelihood, but like life. Um and yet the the like 
And yet the like power of this character is that like you feel the stakes of her presence and you like the emotional stakes are very high and the um, romantic stakes are very high, even if like, okay, so she shows up, like it's not like the end of the world for these people. Um, So I don't know. I feel like I should write her an email saying like, I think I understand what you were saying, but I was so like, this movie's so cool that I didn't really get it. (laughs) Yeah, because I can see on like on a surface or initial watch to go, well, if it's all in a dream, what are the stakes? Right. And if you're not really, if you're so overwhelmed by visuals and and uh, scope and, and, and all of this, like you are the, the stuff about like, I'm going to be arrested if I go home or like, you know, this guy, what's to say Sato won't turn on me and do what he did to our partner if we fail or like... Uh, you know, they have the, is it Mumbai? You know, yeah. they have that one little action sequence where he's he's trying to run away from this like generic engineering company that's after him. You know, it, it does seem like he tries to pepper stuff in there. But like you said, like it's, you know, the most worse off somebody is, is Sado. And, but he seems to manage to, to come back from it. Um you know, there's, it's not like somebody dies in the first dream layer and it makes it worse. Like he gets shot and he's just able to kind of keep going. Right. Um, the, the Lucas Haas, when he gets pulled off the helicopter, we don't know what happens. We don't know how brutal Sato is. I mean, within two scenes, you become like, he becomes like your favorite character and like person of the team. So I can see the, the hesitancy to say like, oh, there's no real world stakes because they're so dream. So it's so dream heavy. And I feel like he probably had to, you know, outweigh some things and say, oh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to pepper this in there with exposition or whatever. But, you know, if it, even just having uh, like their original chemist be killed by the engineering company and that forces them to go um, seek out what's his name? Uh, D-Lap, D-Lap, uh, yeah, Rao, the, Rao. yeah. Yeah, like, you know, something like that. But that's that's nitpicky, I think. Um, and I, I think he falls victim to that sometimes. Like what he's because he's like, this is his most like James Bondy movie. But mm-hmm. there is no mustache twirling kitten petting villain. You know, no. it's industrial espionage and or the depths of the human subconscious like it's there's there's no like there's no true bad guy right yeah and i I think i mean it's just so um like yeah industrial espionage is very funny to me just because like it's so weird that that's a thing and like i know it's a thing like i've seen it in other movies and stuff but like i don't know it's just very funny to me because i'm like just do your own business you know, um, yeah. but you know, um, well, and, and him to go, like, I, if he, if he takes over the company, I won't be able to keep up with them, but, uh, has no problem buying an airline. Right. <laughs> uh, like, so how does all that work? Yeah. Um, these are a lot of questions I have as well. Um, and you know, it's, it's funny, like, even this industrial espionage, it does come down to family because, you know, they, um, 
you know, like, I think like, a really cool scene for me is when they're talking about, like, how do they actually perform the inception on Robert Fisher? And it's like, well, they go through the relationship with the dad. And Dom has this line where he's like, a, a, a positive trigger works better than a negative trigger. Or he's like, mm-hmm. or that's, and I'm like, that's really interesting. But like, something like that would reinforce this sort of like family bond is more powerful than a negative one and um you know the idea of like you know the way to get through him is for like to kind of go back and be like your father wants you to create something yourself i mean that's something that almost has nothing to that potentially had nothing to do with saito right like it could just be like that's just like to like the fact that this whole like corporate espionage dream thievery nonsense <laughs> comes down to like <laughs> Killian Murphy's like daddy issues is very like again it's just a classic Nolan for me where it's like all this stuff gets so like there's all this like window dressing and um uh like all this is sort of like uh I, you know like um details that's put onto a very simple human concept, which is like, you want your daddy proud of you and you should create something on your own and, you know, break away from what you think your father wants from you. Like that's such a simple concept. And yet it's like packaged into, I mean, it's like, again, it's like the metaphor of like, you know, getting down to like the core concept of, you know, of the inception idea. Like, I love how they, he goes from, like, yeah, I want you to break up your father's business, but, like, that's so heady that they can't do it. They have to, like, keep, like, stripping it down. I feel like that's what Nolan does, that, like, but he doesn't reverse, where he has this, like, core idea, and then he just keeps adding to it and adding to it so that you really have to, like, dig deep to find what his core idea is for the movie. Oh, for sure. And I think they do a great job in those scenes, uh, like particularly with Eames, was that his name? Tom Hardy. Yeah. yeah. Like when, when they're going back and forth and like you said, they start with this core idea and they kind of have to work backwards. And so in order to start the seed, they have to look at those layers, this like, just like they would the dream layers, which is kind of cool. And it, it asks an interesting morality question almost because it is industrial espionage. It is sort of stealing in a way, right? Like it, they're, they're cheating, but is the gift that they give him better than what he would have inherited? Like yeah. him, him living the rest of his life, sort of thinking that his, his dad would have wanted this like versus, cause he's such a sad sack in his first two scenes. Like by the, you know, when he's, by the time he gets on the airplane, you feel sorry for him. And then when he's pulling Tom Berenger out of the water, he seems at peace. And like, like like you were saying, it's it could just be a cold. It, he could just be a, a a standard gray person that they're that they're messing with. But instead, they he he finds a way to kind of give him, you know, a little bit of life in those few scenes that he's in. Um, yeah, it was quite it was this, quite touching. I thought. Yeah, and there's something um, so like heartfelt and like a little sappy that like like what you're saying is that like what starts out is like you know dream thieves turns out to be like they're giving this gift to this guy to like really carve out his own identity 
Um, and it's such a like, I don't know, I, I just like can't like, I just keep coming back to the idea that I think Nolan is so sappy, but like, <laughs> he's oh, so definitely. Sad, he's so definitely. And yes. like, all of his movies are about parents and families and, you know, I mean, I guess like, yeah, it's fair to be like, well, how come like, maybe you could have like a woman protagonist with a dead husband, you know? Yeah. And it'd be kind of interesting for him to do. And I wonder what Oppenheimer is going to be like in that regard. Um, that, that feels like, it's, I don't know Oppenheimer history at all, so but it just screams dead wife to me. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that goes, but. <laughs> um, you kind of get it in Interstellar with Chastain, yeah. you know, with like, you know, yeah. it's woman and missing father, but um which on the last time I rewatched that, I was like, I man, I wish she had thirty more minutes of Chastain in this. Like by yeah. the time you by the time she's like older and and was it Casey Affleck shows up, you're like you're just so you're trying to just grind and get to the end. But uh, yeah, I would I would love to see. And then I guess Tenet is you know kind of mother trying to save son. Um, but yeah, like. All right, Nolan. Let's let's get a female protagonist with a that's a widow. Yeah. <laughs> um, let, her, let her do some badass stuff. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that like um, Jessica Chastain and Hathaway and Interstellar feel much more central to the movie, and like, um, <clears throat> than like other Nolan women protagonists do. Um, and uh, I think that movie's probably like the answer to like this one in that regard, where it's like even like Anne Hathaway is sort of like longing for someone who like might be dead, you know, yeah. um, and like literally in a different galaxy. <laughs> um, and like, you know, Matthew McConaughey for all intents and purposes is practically like non-existent for Jessica Chastain. And like, she has to like, you know, I mean, I know he's still alive, but like she has to find him. So, um, yeah, but, like, I definitely think that, like, Inception has such a, you know, it's such a, like, sentimental theme behind it. And, um, but even so, like, I mean, I feel like we're talking about this movie, it's very serious and heady, but, like, what are some, like, favorite, like, moments of the film or, like, what, like the really, like, cool sequences that really stand out for you? I, I think just in a broad sense, it is, yeah. it is cool. Yeah, the guys are cool. They wear cool suits. They stay in nice hotels, and uh, like all the architecture is is fun, and it seems like something that would be in a watch ad. Yeah, in an airport, <laughs> right. you know, like their hair is slicked back. Um, it is. It is funny to also think like Leo's look in this is kind of is he like a cool Nolan? You know, he's got the blonde hair sort of slicked back in the suit. I've always thought, like, I wonder if that's his, like, most, like, I'm trying to put myself up there whenever he casts Leo. Um, I like that. I like the, I do really appreciate the the relationships between these professionals. Mm, yeah, that was I, my next kind of topic for you. Yeah, I I, I love a team. And I love a team that gets along. And I, because I certainly always feel like a, a lone wolf, or maybe that's like put upon myself. But uh, you know, stuff like Steve Zissou, like or Life Aquatic, like that's my favorite. Uh, Wes Anderson, because of that reason, like I love a squad. Um, 
So maybe my favorite part of the movie might be whenever he goes to to get Eames and how game Eames is to try. And he's like, yeah, shit, let's do it. And like, let's talk more after I help you evade this tale. Um, and then Sato, he's even, he starts out as this like villainous guy. And then he, he they fall victim to like the fast and the furious thing where the vi- villain comes in to the team on the next movie. You know, he's immediately like in the crew and buying an airline for them and feeding them information. Um, the hallway sequence, I will say the standout for sure is the editing on this movie, like from a technical standpoint. Uh-huh. That really ranked true uh, on these rewatches. And I would say I'm not the biggest Joseph Gordon Levitt fan. But in, in this movie in particular, I think he's got he's some of his dialogue, he the way he has to explain exposition, he does it in such a a natural way. I think the only other person that does it a little bit better than him is Tom Hardy, but he gets a little bit he gets to kind of josh him a little bit throughout their like uh you know, their planning stages. Uh, but I really appreciated Joseph Gordon-Levitt in this, and especially the physicality in that hallway sequence. Yeah, and like all the zero G stuff. How about yeah. you? Yeah, I mean, I have to agree with you. Like, you know, everyone loves the highest movie, <laughs> um, and everyone loves the highest team. And I feel like this one is really great and cool. And I agree with you. Everyone you're saying, like, I think they have really good chemistry. They feel like colleagues who are friendly. And have a lot of like camaraderie but also like exhausted with each other <laughs> and um you know i like elliot page as ariadne as like the audience surrogate i think it's a you know like i feel like this era of his career is very um uh i just you know there was like you know juno of course this movie smart people yeah. that he did like um it was just I was just related to Elliot Page as an actor a lot and I liked seeing him in like a really cool movie like this and like a big movie um, and kind of play that you know very smart but naive not even naive but just like speaking it all out and like as audience circuit and Eves is the best we lo- I, I love Tom Hardy and I, I like Tom Hardy like becoming like a <laughs> Christopher Nolan muse like I want to see him in more movies like in every Christopher Nolan movie because I feel like they just like connect really well um I think Justin Cote Levin I like a lot as an actor um you know and it was weird like I realized like he's kind of really been not doing much for the last almost like 10 years (laughs) like um I forgot but like how big he was uh around this movie like you know, with five days of summer and this movie. And um, so, yeah, it was interesting to think about. Um, have you heard this theory of like this movie as like a metaphor for like a filmmaking crew, like Leonardo yeah. DiCaprio as the director, Ariadne as the production designer, Eames as like the actor. I think Justin Gordon Levitt would be the producer. Um, Saito as like the financier. I think yeah. it's like, um, I think Yusuf would be like the cinema 
photographer or some, or like camera technicians. And like, it's like each, yeah. each of them have their own little like the DP. Role. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Would Paige be the writer? Yeah, that or I, 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 production I, I designer right. seems right there, but I'm like, who else would be the writer? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I thought that was kind of a cool read on the movie. Um, and I, I think I read somewhere Christopher Nolan was like, someone had mentioned that theme to him. He was like, it's more that it's, it's like, it's not like it's not that he made these team thinking of filmmaking, but more just like these are just like the elements of every team. And yeah. like he's like, this movie's about like creation and like you know, everyone has their job. Um, and so I don't know, it was very, I think like this movie is really, I, I feel like this movie is its own, like this movie like to me, like set the template for like what Christopher Nolan cool looks like, you know, and like, we see it with yeah. Tenet, like Tenet is very similar. Um, I just like what you're saying, like that watch ad look, like slick hair, clean, crisp suits, like, um, the production design, the like locations are all just very like grand and and like lavish, but also very like clean and clinical. Um, and uh, that look might get tiring for some, but I, I I personally like it, and I also feel like this movie is like the best version of that. I think clinical is an excellent descriptor. It's mm. you can tell he appreciates the finer things, and yeah. he I. Th- think maybe he takes it upon himself definitely being inspired by the bond franchise to sort of you know the the movie itself is a way to kind of put you in that world you know not all of us get to stay in hotels and fly out of the right you know off the helicopter pad off the roof like that's so so why not put that in there you know and just establish them that way and then you don't have to ask like well how are they paying for this how are they you know just it, that is what it is. Um, and I agree with you, like his look, I think Wally Feister has a lot to do with that. Mm. Um, and then particularly with inception, what I love is it's pre IMAX, which I don't dislike IMAX, but I dislike ratio changes like aspect changes. So this one sort of staying in that same. And I, when I was researching, he specifically talked about like, even though he used it on Dark Knight with Inception, he wanted to, because they needed to get in and create what seemed like a void or a dreamlike space, they wouldn't have been able to use the camera technology at the time. But I definitely appreciate the the overall aesthetic of this movie, I think, in comparison to any of his others. Yeah. Um, like one of, one of my issues with his Batman trilogy is that begins has this grittiness to it and you you have sets and you have models and then for the dark night they just shot in the day in chicago and they they didn't really have the narrows they didn't have these gritty underground places that batman would go and then by the time you get to dark night rises he's like fighting in the street in the daytime you know and you sort of lose some of that uh that noir feel that begins definitely had. Yeah. And, but he can, com- I mean, when he makes the decision to do it, I appreciate that, that he, he commits to that. And he's, you know, a huge proponent of, of film and theater, like, you know, the theater experience, which I appreciate. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, I would love to kind of see Nolan go back to that, like Batman begins, insomnia, mento, 
even like prestige feel where it's just yeah. very like small scale gritty um and like i also you know not concerned but i kind of just wonder like um you know like is he ever going to get too big for his britches in the sense of like if he's you know like i think tenant interstellar and tenant you know, both being like two and a half hours and lots of effects. I mean, I, I guess like Dunkirk, I love Dunkirk and I feel like that maybe kind of was a reset movie because it's shorter, but it's also very bombastic and it like plays with time. I mean, I think Dunkirk is like a time travel movie, almost like Interstellar is. For sure. <laughs> um, yeah. And um, so yeah, I'd love to see him go back to that because I think it's, I, I think it'd be a good like way to like kind of recharge himself and also like, maybe have an answer to people who think he's just like so big headed and you know especially after the whole like tenant thing but i don't think it's i think he like set off a nuclear bomb to make oppenheimer so i don't think oppenheimer is going to be the the small scale return (laughs) i had the same thought with avatar this week yeah like I, i don't know if you've seen avatar 2 yet but yeah i have i was like man i really wish like i appreciate avatar i I I really enjoyed Avatar 2, but there was a part of me that was like, dude, 13 years, you couldn't have thrown another True Lies type movie in the middle of that. Like, you know, uh, just something to stay a little bit more more grounded. And like you said, like, will, will Oppenheimer make so much money that like it just becomes like he's this sort of, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Metalocalypse, like Death Clock. Like this, you know, like, does he become just this like a giant filmmaker that, like you said, like, like, is he going to be the guy to actually film an entire movie in space? Like, is he going to go to the moon and make a movie there? Is that the only way like he's going to want to keep making or telling stories? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a question I have. And, you know, I, I trust him to know himself. And like I, you know, I'm I'm, you know, I'm a Nolan bro, as they say. Um, so I'll follow him wherever Aww. he goes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and um, but yeah, it's just yeah, like I don't want him to get into like the trap of always having to like one up himself. Cause I, I and the same way I feel about the Wachowskis, you know, I'm like, yeah. okay, you got your matrix sequel, like I want I want to see Bound again. I want to see Speed Racer again. Um, because I, I think they're so talented that it'd be kind of fun to see them, you know, flex a different muscle. Um, and also maybe like actually make money on a movie. Um, <laughs> but, um, so yeah, it's just, it's, you know, like, you know, like when you think about like the directors, like in like the classic era, like Hitchcock, for example, like, North by Northwest, big movie, lots of locations, like two hours plus. He falls out with Psycho, which is like so small scale, you know. Yeah. I mean, that that comes after like Vertigo and North by Northwest and Rear Window, and it's like, yeah, let's just scale it back and like just actually like really display your, you know, display your talent under limitations of budget and because it's like you know you're he's Christopher Nolan like. I know he can make a movie that's amazing for $200 million, but like, let's see $50 million, you know? Yeah. Well, uh, it's, it's a, it's a, he's a definitely a dude director, but I mean, Michael Bay, 
yeah pain and gain i loved right like you did you don't need to do a transformers movie every year yeah um yeah i mean Catherine bigelow she's an example where i'm just like yeah you know let's um, let's do like a near dark again you know how fun would that be um and i also feel like audiences are kind of ready for that kind of thing just because like we've had such a glut of big movies and like you know i mean i love i love a three-hour movie but like that's such a trend now same but it's like yeah i want to see i i think james cameron's a perfect example and i think spielberg is a great example of someone who does scale it back continually yeah Yeah, I i don't know the budget for the fablemans but like that's a very small scale interior personal movie um after west side story which is a big spectacle um yeah so I feel like he's and Scorsese too, of course. They're 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 the two that I think are really good with like, you know, knowing when to scale it back and when to go big and, and kind of offering a lot of rewards in both in both arenas. Yeah. Well, let me go back on that. I like a yeah. three hour movie when it when it's justified <laughs> and it's yeah. a blockbuster. Like if Banshees of Inishirin was three hours, that might have been a little tough. Like I I like couldn't have handled that like you know uh that type of movie keep keep under budget i think that's what you were saying it's like if they go back to something you know they don't always need to do the three-hour blockbuster they can yeah yeah. they can go back let's do an hour 40 for for 50 million and you know what if you make 100 million that's fine but you got to you know just sort of flex your storytelling muscles and get out of the out of the scope thing you know like it like I'm, i'm hoping Raimi you know, post Marvel, like now has the juice and wants to do something smaller again, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, to me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not anywhere in the creative arts, you know, I'm not a filmmaker or anything like that, but like, I just feel like it'd be kind of fun just to like do a little genre exercise. Like I think of Shutter Island, you know, which is like, yeah, I think one of my favorite Scorsese movies, but it's like, so it's, it's like him just doing like a, you know, airport detective novel, you know? And it's mm-hmm. like, he turns it into art because he's Scorsese, but like, it's at its core, just a psychological thriller with a very easy to guess twist that is still very effective. Yeah. <laughs> and gets even more effective on rewatch, actually. Um, so I want to see like, you know, Christopher Nolan isn't like that. And maybe like, you know, kind of going back to like the romance angle, like instead of, kind of like dressing his romantic through line with a lot of like sci-fi, but like maybe do something a little bit more like um, outwardly romantic or sentimental. Not that I like something that's a little bit like where like it's like more at the forefront. I don't think that's his style, but it'd be interesting to see him do something like, I'm not saying I want to make him want him to make like a romantic melodrama, but like, I don't know, maybe like a, you know, a more like conventional or traditional like film noir with like a really sexy femme fatale type, you know? Yeah. Do you think the studio would even entertain that thought? Like if he came with like, Hey, here's a road movie. Here's a father son road movie that I'd love to do. And I just want 50 million. You know, I remember reading somewhere i think it was about, must have been about the mcu of how like i like when black widow was sort of like still in development i was like i just want to see like a 25 million dollar like 
born identity type movie and reading somewhere that like i think studios are very hesitant to like go against the grain in that kind of way where it's like audiences expect a 100 200 million dollar movie that from this brand so it's too risky to like go beyond the norm and i feel like christopher nolan might be kind of at that level where it's like we expect bombast and like grandiosity and long run times and you know time travel or science fiction or whatever so yeah like it but i also think he's like powerful enough that like i don't think he would like uh i think he could do it like i think he could like convince them but it might just be like i feel like he might be getting people be like but don't you want to do another science fiction movie you know yeah it might be it might turn into a one for you one for me sort of situation yeah. like yeah. here's a 30 year budget to make your emotional movie and then the other two thirds let's blow something up and right rate it pg-13 <laughs> and right and get it out in june so right right um yeah i don't know it's interesting. i'm curious to see where his career goes because i don't know i feel like i would just get bored of having so much money to make a movie because it's like there's no like where's the tension you know yeah, like, i'll, I'll we... take that challenge though yeah right I mean, of course <laughs> <laughs> um is there um i'm trying to think like i know we mentioned the performances of marion cotillard and Leon dicaprio but this has got even one of my favorite dicaprio movies like this and like wolf of wall street and the aviator titanic of course yeah um but i, I love this i love his performance in this movie i think it's so he plays he's like really good at playing like a guy who's like on the about to have a nervous breakdown <laughs> and is like struggling um but and, like trying really hard to keep it together and i think that's a really good mode for for leonardo dicaprio I thought a an interesting take on on this rewatch was how good he was at uh like being the mentor to Paige. Yeah. Like in like how how well he got the point across and it, it he seemed like oh this is this is the guy that you would want to be in a dream with like up until Maul shows up but uh even when she sort of is just going crazy and designing stuff. He's kind of like, all right, no, 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 no. But you know, he's never, the only time he really blows up is uh, when they first go into the first level and they find out that Fisher has been trained and he, he sort of blows up at, uh, at Arthur. But by that point, Sato has been shot. It's raining. They're way behind already. The train shown up. Like he finally loses his cool, but, um, I think it's it's a it's a hard thing and DiCaprio does it really well of being able to play cool when you need to play cool and being able to snap whenever you need to snap. Uh yeah. Um he's just he's just infinitely cool. He's he's got that Brad Pitt Clooney factor of like uh, okay, I'll take I'll buy whatever you're selling. Yeah. Um right. Yeah, I mean I it's like um, he's just such a he knows I, I think you're so right like he knows how when to turn the charisma on and how to like be that movie star guy but then also like when to like 
in some ways like when to make that into like a mask you know and Mm -hmm. hiding all the like you know stress and struggle and you know uh breakdown of it all under that and it's just such a uh, yeah he's 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 such an interesting actor and like i um you know, I, I keep thinking back to like this movie, like Django Unchained, of like how much he's can be very like surprising in in the kind of choices he makes as an actor. And you know, I I definitely love him as mentor and showing Ariadne all the rules and stuff because it's a it's a good vote for him. Yeah. Um, especially because I don't know, I don't think we really get to see him play that kind of role. Like, I don't think he's ever going to play like. The professor in a drama you know where he's like mentoring young kids because i feel like he's still such a movie star that like he's only going to be playing like either these like big character roles or like the lead i mean once by a time in hollywood it's amazing performance in that movie um i honestly kind of kind of like should have won the oscar <laughs> i guess yeah um but and it's because he gets to be funny he gets to be a diva he gets to like be vulnerable um and again just so surprising in his choices and his like the choices of roles that he takes yeah i can't think of anybody that that has that filmography you know like he could have very easily just been um you know robert pattinson's kind of doing the same thing now kind of switching and trying to change course yeah. You know, he could have just been, you know, the romantic lead for the rest of his life. But, um, yeah, he, he just seems to excel when he's either uh, cool and suave and up front or back against the wall. You know, he, he he's able to find the balance in whatever he whatever role he's in. You know, I still think uh, Django Unchained might be my favorite of his performances. Yeah. Um, and then like I think he's even better than Kristoff sadly I think Samuel L. Jackson was the best in that movie he's the one yeah. that I'm bummed didn't get the the statue for that but oh my god don't get me started on that oh like, sorry I, I don't know why Christoph Waltz got two Oscars in like three years for playing the exact same role but that's okay um yeah but- yeah. I think Marion definitely um she gets my my thumbs up on this. Uh she's got she's got a tough task to play and she does it wonderfully like just she gets under your skin there's something about her accent and her eyes. Yeah. Just drive you crazy and then you feel infinitely sorry for her and uh she just I think she takes it away for me. And then um Ken Watanabe is just infinitely cool i wish he was in more stuff um i love that nolan create he's got this like you know repertoire is that the word repertory yeah of actors that he sort of you know he's got that you're like i'm not upset when michael caine's in his movie like sure like he knows michael caine's gonna do what michael caine needs to do and they probably save money somehow yeah come out for two days film your scenes and move on um, yeah you know hardy hardy came in after this um he kept joseph gordon levitt for dark knight rises so yeah he kept marion cotillard um, yeah that's right she's for dark knight rises. 
I feel like Tom Hardy is the one that really has emerged as like the main. I mean, it's Michael Caine, of course, but like, you know, I, I would, st- I, I could see Tom Hardy being like more and more. Like, I, I'm surprised Tom Hardy wasn't in Tenet. I feel like that feels like a very Tom Hardy type movie. <laughs> Unless he wasn't, I'm not remembering, but um, I don't think so. I, I mean, he so definitely could have played Pattinson's role, but yeah, exactly. I mean, Pattinson is super cool in it, but yeah, yeah. Um, would love to see him work with Elliot Page again. I think that'd be kind of a you know fun reunion. I'm, yeah, I'm interested to see what their what their future holds. You know, they've oh. they've got a lot on their shoulders, so yeah. Um, are there any other kind of like final thoughts on Inception, like the Mal and Dom relationship, or any other kind of moments or parts of the film you want to bring up? Uh, the thing that really stuck out, like trying to 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 throw this on, I uh, told my wife, "Hey, I gotta watch Inception for this thing." She was stoked. Um, I even asked her, "I was like, all right, so the." theme of this is bad romance so like let's let's look at it through that lens we still fell victim to just getting sucked into the visuals and the scope of everything right but uh afterwards just i was really just talking about like that it i can't really think of too many other movies that really sort of sell that that deep seed of of an x you know whether it's you know, a breakup or a loss or whatever, quite like this movie. Uh, and like I was saying before, like I've had two really bad breakups in my life and I'm sure I was miserable to be around and I was not near as cool as Cobb is. And that really, really stuck with me, like how, how he's able to uh, visualize that with the, the mentalization with the elevator and 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 putting that stuff deep down and but still being so drawn to want to go and be with her mm-hmm. so whenever he's alone he hooks up the machine by himself and goes and dreams with her um i think we've all done that with a, ba- a breakup you know we we're we're alone and that's what we're thinking about and we're trying to think but i wish i could go back to that um but how much better off you are once you accept that and move past that. I think that to me really is the, the big takeaway of, of the whole thing. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I feel that this, um, I, you know, there's one takeaway for people who are listening to this, just like we watched this movie through the lens of romance and marriage and heartbreak. And I think it's really going to, you know, open up to you in a really emotional, sentimental way. And I, um, you know, I encourage that for almost all of us, all of Milton's movies. And I, yeah. I think that, um, like the, I think the emotional through of this movie is so powerful and so interesting to think about it. And so tragic, um, that it gets, it does get lost under all the spectacle and the spectacles, great you know this you could I, inception is one of those movies that i feel like you could talk about in any context whether it's like the performance the the filmmaking the spectacle the the romance all of it it's like it's such a fun movie to talk about it's fun movie to watch um it's rewatch value was like through the room 
Like I could watch this over and over again. Um, and I'm pretty sure there was a period in the 2010s where I did exactly that. Um, and um, yeah, great movie. You know, I think it's like, it's it's one of those movies where it's like critically acclaimed, award-winning, you know, box office success. Like movies like this are just so rare and they were rare in 2010. They still are now. And um, yeah, so I, I, if anything, I just hope people think of this movie differently after listening to this. Yeah, if, if any movie that asks you or allows you to revisit and watch from a different lens or or come at it from a different way, like this is that. Yeah. Um, For sure. Did, uh, the only other thing that I, I I had under my like you know conspiracy theory section of my notes, <laughs> you hit you hit about the the filmmaking uh, parallel. But uh, have you noticed this thing about the wedding ring? You know, I did not notice it when I watched it. But then, like, when I was Googling, like, Inception marriage or Inception romance, it kept coming up. So I'd love for you to explain it. Uh, So I guess some people have noticed that uh, the the top is, or as we know, the top is uh, Maul's totem. Mm -hmm. And... But if you look at it as Cobb's actual totem is his wedding ring. Mm. So whenever he is in a dream, he is wearing a wedding ring. Whenever we we see him in what we are to take as reality, he is without the wedding ring. Um, I did notice in a few sequences. So he has it in the initial um, heist with Sato. And then when you see him at his hotel and he's spinning the top and holding the gun to his head, he does not have a wedding ring. So... I would invite your listeners the next time you watch it to to look out for that. That might be a, another little detail he left in there for us. Oh, man, Chris just keeps giving and giving. Yes. Um, uh, Inception's on Hulu, so definitely will watch it again and look out for that. Um, <laughs> really excited about it, actually. Um, well, Bones, thank you so much for being here. I had a lovely time chatting with you this and meeting great. you. Please let the listeners know where they can find you and what you're working on these days. Uh, you can find me on the Five Day Rentals podcast uh, every week. Just imagine uh, an alternate reality where video stores still exist, and uh, me and Laundry Dan and Cron Howard happen to work at the absolute worst video store imaginable. So our it's sort of a category type podcast. Uh, we sort of go non genre. Um, pick three movies, watch them, kind of break them down. Uh, our ultimate goal is to build this, what we call the big list of movies with infinite rating, uh, you know, giving you like the prime list of everything. And it's it's been fun trying to find that sweet spot of a good movie to cover or to watch. Um, you know, it's it's not, we're not setting out to be a bad movie podcast or a great movie podcast. It's kind of, I look at it as if you remember the video store, that that section in the middle, not the wall, not your classics, kind of that, you know, $1 for a week section is what we try to cover. So we've got kind of a continuing uh, story with our cold opens that sort of progresses through, but you can jump in whenever and just check us out. So wherever you get your podcasts, and I'm at the 5 Day Rentals podcast on Twitter, at 5 Day Rentals pod. 
Um, and we've got a Discord that we love people to come. Like We're pretty active on there. You can talk to us direct. Very exciting. Yes, very fun. Very fun podcast. Um, the inverse of... Yeah, <laughs> right. Basically, we're very innocent here. Yes. Um, and <laughs> um, well, thanks so much for being here. Listeners can find me on Twitter at vertigay314. Also, please follow the podcast at If I Have to Be You. Um, and remember to rate, view, and subscribe to the show. Hope you'll find it. Uh, next, we are continuing Bad Romance, I think, with Rosemary's Baby. Um, and so that'll be a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah. A lot of some, you know, fun stuff to have to, you know, qualify the episode with. Great. Love that. But, you know, great movie to talk about. So excited about that. Um, yeah. So look out for that. Um, this is the first episode of 2023. So happy new year and uh, excited for the coming months of the rest of the miniseries. And then as we move on to the next one. So, Bones, thanks again. Listeners, thanks for listening. Yes, and have a great day. All right, thanks so much.